morning, everyone. <coughs> Welcome to the final day of the uh, New Austrian School series of lectures. Uh, today, we're going to have two lectures, one by Professor Fekata and one by Keith, uh, on economic resonance. So, over to Professor. Thank you, Sandy. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> I uh, made an announcement yesterday, and unfortunately, I forgot to mention another very good news, which is, uh, uh, I think, still preliminary, but we can uh, uh, put it down in our calendar through the good offices of uh, our old friend Gatano. There will be a one-day seminar in November in the uh, Italian city of Padova, which is only 40 kilometers or so from Venice, so it's a wonderful uh, tourist area as well. And uh, please put it down in, the, in your calendar. We don't have the exact date, but tentatively it's the last Friday in the month of November. There may be a change, please. Uh, watch our website where the firm date will be uh, published as soon as we have it. Is there anything else that we should add to this? No? Uh, no, no. no. Okay. Okay. Uh, I personally am looking forward to this visit to Padova. Uh, St. Anthony of Padova is my patron saint. Antal is Anthony or Antonio in, in Italian, and uh, I've been to Padova, it's a lovely city, I'm looking forward to go again, and in this occasion we'll have this meeting. There are further very interesting plans in, on the <coughs> drawing board, but I think it was too early, is it not? Yes. Is it not too early? Yes. We can put it out there. But, uh, well, if you want to say something. Uh, the professor and I uh, at Marsa uh, are thinking of um, putting a seminar in, uh, in uh, Ecuador early next year. Very exotic place. Place, yeah. Cuencas, Ecuador. It's uh, the number one destination uh, for international living now. And Cuencas is a university city, seven to 8,000 feet up in the mountains, and it was, uh, it's, one of the rumors is it was the lost city of the uh, uh, Incas. And uh, there's a tremendous amount of interest in the uh, American uh, Americans about moving overseas for a number of reasons. And uh, out of the blue, Cuencas has rushed to number one, gone around the outside, took out Uruguay, drove down New Zealand, <coughs> and is now at the forefront. <laughs> and there's a lot to say for it, so we think it'd be a really popular venue. Uh, and the, prob the topic there would probably be gold and silver's investments, because I think most of the crowd that would come would be in are, are interested in that type of thing. So. It's, it's too early to uh, mention a date, but hopefully it's early. Early uh, 2013. Yeah, if we make it to 2012. <laughs> <laughs> So there it is, lots of activities coming up. Uh, it's so nice to see the core of this group, but of course bring newcomers, be, bring friends if you can, and uh, we'll, we'll see you again. Now, economic 
resonance. This is a subject which is rather tentative. I uh, had a little bit of hesitation using it as a title, but uh, ultimately I decided that it's, it is perhaps not a bad title, Economic Resonance. It does suggest uh, what is going on. It's uh, the idea of a cycle, but a cycle which could be uh, <coughs> boosted <coughs> from the outside, or it could become self-boosted at from one point on, and uh, this is something which well deserves studying. I, uh, in particular, mentioned already, and uh, it won't be time to repeat it, but the uh, <coughs> activities of the marginal bondholder and also the marginal uh, entrepreneur are such a self-boost, or could be under the proper conditions, self-boosting. And that is what makes the phenomenon different from the normal uh, um, occurrences where actions are at random and when they are at random a lot of action in this direction will be cancelled out by action in the other direction so there's no question of self-boosting in, in a random event because uh, the uh, uh, randomness will cancel out, will, uh, will prevent building up extraordinary forces which could then reach a level where it be they become very destructive. <coughs> so uh, this is something which is new, which our school brings to the Austrian uh, theory of business cycles, we are suggesting that, uh, that uh, the theory should take a careful look at these extra or outside influences on the economy by actions, inc uh, including uh, such actions as the action of the central bank, in particular open market operation, or what would prevent the marginal bondholder or the marginal entrepreneur to actually stop the movement of the rate of interest in one direction and prevail in pushing it back in the other so that it will find <coughs> its natural level. This is, this is the task, and of course it will take a lot more work to complete it and a lot more time, but we should start uh, as early as possible. Now one of the names in the theory of interest, which is not often mentioned, but I 
a very great respect for him. Knut Wicksal, the uh, Swedish economist who already in the late 19th century, to be precise, in the year 1897, gave a lecture in Stockholm um, before the Economic Association uh, of Sweden. And in that lecture, he addressed this very problem. I'm quoting him. Logically speaking, it does not seem possible to give any other answer to our question than the following. The question is, uh, what is uh, the influence on the rate of interest? The, uh, the level of commodity prices must depend on the rate of interest. A low rate of interest must lead to rising prices, and a high rate of interest uh, to falling prices. And uh, this is uh, more or less plausible uh, because the uh, uh, creditor who is extending the loan will demand a compensation in the form of higher uh, interest if the commodity price level shows a persistent rising tendency. And uh, on the other hand, if commodity prices show a falling tendency, then the bargaining position of the debtors will be strengthened and the creditors uh, sooner or later will uh, give way and lower the rate of interest. So that part is, is almost obvious and doesn't need a great deal of explanation or research. It's the action in the other direction which is very controversial and which uh, is a puzzle. Uh, and most, or practically all economists, just throw up their hands and say, well, we are really helpless in trying to find an explanation. So I'm continuing the quotation from Knut Wicksell. <clears throat> this is in full agreement with the basic principles of the quantity theory of money. <laughs> Unfortunately, we are once more faced with the same regrettable circumstance, a lack of correspondence between theory and reality. If we compare the wholesale prices in Hamburg, on the one hand, and the rate of interest in Berlin, on the other, then it must be admitted, if it is possible to discover any connection between them at all, that a high rate of interest is associated with high commodity prices and a low rate of interest with low commodity prices rather than the other way around. This, this is the end of the quotation, which means that Wicksell uh, uh, confessed he could not solve the puzzle. Because, and and uh, he also betrayed the source of his confusion. 
he could not liberate his own thinking from the clutches of the quantity theory of money. He made a decisive step, though, in the right direction, and this is why I consider him one of my heroes in, in, and forerunners in studying the uh, uh, theory of interest and developing the theory of interest. And uh, uh, what he did was he suggested that the clue to the puzzle was not the market rate of interest per se, the level, but rather it was the spread between the market rate and the natural rate. The term natural rate is due to him. He called the natural rate which was uninfluenced by banks, governments, and other outside factors. Now, in our terminology, uh, I haven't used this term natural rate because we have found actually it's a more, more up-to-date terminology. It uh, is the language of theory of time preference. We just call it the marginal rate of time preference. This is what we would call the natural rate. The, the two ideas are, if not identical, then they are very close and in, uh, it's, a, it's a safe approximation to translate Wicksell's statement in terms of the rate of marginal time preference. <clears throat> the appearance of a non-zero spread, which means that there is a deviation between the market rate and the natural rate or the rate of uh, marginal time preference, indicates the presence of outside influence on the market. There is, must be a reason if the spread is not zero, if it's uh, uh, positive or could be negative as well, then we have to investigate what the reason for that is. And we, sh we shall find the culprit, uh, the banking system inspired by the central bank or by the government. <laughs> so it's a dangerous signal if the there is a deviation. It's a dangerous signal if the spread is positive in particular. This is, of the two possibilities, this is the more important when the spread is positive. And uh, what does that mean? It means that the rate of interest is pushed below the natural rate, which is the time preference rate. That's the prevailing. Now, occasionally there is a bounce back, but the, the important case to study is a positive spread, which means lower uh, market rate than the time preference rate, and that will put a sequence of actions into, uh, into uh, uh, effect. And this is the important thing for us to study. Hmm. 
So this implies that the rate of interest and price level will move in the same direction. In, uh, in more details, if the spread is positive, then the market rate of interest is too low, and the rate of interest and the price level will both have to rise. And if the spread is negative, then the market rate is too high, and they will both fall. Moreover, the cumulative effect will not vanish unless the spread itself vanishes. So uh, it was Wixell who started this uh, investigation in that direction, and it was followed by others. And uh, I, there are several quotations. You have this material as the last chapter, chapter 10. So I'm not going to go through all these quotations, just the ones which I consider especially important and revealing. So uh, here is one which is, uh, quote, a puzzling and apparently irrational coincidence. And this is, the quotation is, it's due to Jackson. I have already mentioned that Jackson, uh, Gilbert Jackson, the actual reference is at the end there is a list of readings and Gilbert Jackson is mentioned there. In 1947 he made a speech and the transcript of that speech is available and uh, Keith was kind enough to say that when he goes next to Chicago he will uh, get from the library where the Pi papers are deposited, get a copy and we'll put it on the, on the internet. The title of that piece is The Rate of Interest and uh, it's very interesting. Uh, there is also a, <coughs> a chart which is, uh, leads from the French Revolution all the way to uh, 1947, when Jackson actually delivered his speech in Canada, <coughs> and it's uh, very nice because it's, it is the same type of chart what Kondratev, the Soviet uh, economist who, was, who, was, who got lost in the gulag of Stalin in the 1930s, uh, and uh, he, Kondratev studied 21 indicators and uh, I think uh, Jackson's importance is that he could reduce it to only two. The uh, price level on the one hand and the rate of interest on the other. So that greatly simplified the picture and one single chart with two curves uh, uh, describe the situation uh, almost perfectly uh, and it's Jackson's uh, uh, analogy which I have already quoted two dogs connected with a leash 
one can run ahead of the other, but only so much, and the other can lag behind, but only so far. And uh, <clears throat> that's what the two curves do, namely price level and the rate of interest. At one time, one is chasing the other, and then they reverse the order and the other is chasing the first one. And this is very interesting and I have not, I have always been planning to recalculate or to calculate what happened after 1947, which was a key year, because Jackson made the conclusion that it seems that the government and the central bank, inspired by Keynes, he, he mentions Keynes by name, but uh, they succeeded in breaking the leash. So now one uh, of the two dogs can run ahead uh, as far as it, he can from the other, and what, which of the two dogs can run ahead? The, the price level, you see. He, uh, this is what he believed in 1947, but events have refuted him. But what he saw in 1947 at the time he made that speech was that the leash was broken and the dogs of the price level are running way ahead and the interest is behind. So that is the paradise dreamed by Keynes, the paradise of low interest rates and forget about prices. And it turned out to be wrong. Jackson did not correctly predict the future, the leash did hold, and it was still true. But at that time, it was an extreme uh, spread, what occurred in 1947. And uh, nobody dreamed at that time the tremendous price increases. Of course, we say tremendous. Uh, we shouldn't, because <laughs> since then, and especially after 1971, we have seen much, much bigger moves. But by the norms of the day in 1947, what happened after that year were really unex uh, quite uh, extraordinary increases in the price level. Now, uh, very few of us would have personal memories, I guess, because of average uh, ages. <laughs> But some of us do, and, and uh, 19, if you uh, have memories, uh, then you might just recognize 1947 was another uh, watershed year when uh, prices started. You see, uh, there were some price controls in the United States. Of course, this, uh, this is not applicable to Europe. This is strictly United States and Canada, where Jackson lived, and his remarks 
have to do with the situation in North America. But uh, it was a remarkable price stability after World War II, when a lot of people expected prices to rise. Prices didn't rise for some two years. And uh, Jackson jumped the gun and he said, well, that's it. Keynes uh, succeeded. Unfortunately, he said, because he was not by any means a follower of Keynes. And uh, he was wrong. He, he misjudged the situation because the leash held and uh, prices started following and interest rates started following. All right, so we have now this uh, controversy and uh, I'm not going to go back and repeat what I have said about the uh, the ratchet in as applied to the marginal bondholders activity and the marginal entrepreneurs activity but the the thing is that uh, rather than having random events in the sequence of the spread, the spread between the market rate of interest and the uh, rate of marginal uh, time preference, and similarly at the other extreme where we talk about the marginal productivity of capital, the, uh, uh, the randomness disappears. And what we have is pushing in the same direction. And here, bond speculation plays a, 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 a very important role, without which you won't understand what is happening. The initial push comes from the central bank. The first uh, instance when the uh, market rate of interest is pushed below the, mar the rate of marginal time preference. Now, if it was random, then there would be a reaction and so on, and it would even out. So, by and large, there would be a stable interest. But this does not happen. And this does not happen because of the insight which the bond speculators have. And that is what I have explained at some length, and uh, I have to remind you that the uh, policy of open market operations of the central bank in the bond market, which I also said was a misnomer because on a net basis it's always open market purchases rather than open market operations, of course, there's a devious intent here to suggest that uh, sometimes purchases, sometimes sales of government bonds in the open market by the central bank. But this is false. This is misleading uh, because th these do not alternate randomly. Uh, if there is any open market sales, the, they are either 
only for window dressing purposes or mischievous uh, uh, planting false uh, uh, false evidence, trying to convince people that this is something random, but it is not. On the uh, on, on the uh, average, it's always on a net basis open market purchases, and and it's easy to see why. Why is it that the government uh, or the central bank is uh, is um, buying golds? I'm sorry, guy buying bonds in the open market rather than selling. Well. To depress the rate of interest, you need to be a purchaser of yes, and also if you want to look at it from the other uh, uh, angle, the, the reason is that they want to increase the quantity of money and also well make it make uh, the. Uh, value of government bonds appear higher than the market would uh, uh, value them. So uh, this is now enter the bond speculator. The, the drama is unfolding and first time the bond speculator appears and that will, of course, change the, the thing because this randomness disappears and the, the net effect of bond speculation is going to be the formation of trends. There were no trends before. Interest rate uh, was fairly stable and the gold standard had a big stabilizing uh, force uh, and uh, the speculators were not interested in bond speculation for a very good reason. They didn't see any profit potential there, at least not in comparison with the commodity markets. So they went to the greener pastures. They did not touch uh, the bond, the bonds, as the same way as 